I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design. Saying goodbye to an amazing person and a giant in Southern California's design community, Rocky LaFleur. There are some people you encounter in life who make you feel better, who, who make you better. They lift up those around them. Rocky LaFleur was the embodiment of that. As as long as I knew him, which was longer than some, but nowhere near as long as some of his uh, amazing friends, he always had a smile and a word of encouragement. Rocky had a passion for his longtime friends and an openness to make new ones. We lost Rocky this past week, and this created a flood of memories, which came back to me. There have been so many fun and wonderful events, and I cherish the time this tight-knit Southern California design community gets together. The last time I saw Rocky in person, it was to see him speak to up-and-coming design students at UCLA Extension. Eleanor Schrader handed the mic to Rocky and his partner in comedy, Gary Gibson, and the two of them led us through a journey into the wonderful world of design that made these prospective designers, made their eyes twinkle. Not just the good, but the challenging and the hard work that comes with it. But as Rocky shared his ideas and his stories, it, it made everyone feel that this is something not just that they wanted to do, but they had to do. That was the effect Rocky had on you. Rocky LaFleur was a phenomenal ambassador for all of us in the design industry. He was a dedicated mentor who gave freely of his time to help others, and he always had a smile on his face, that sweet smile. Rocky's story is special, and it doesn't end here. When you influence and positively impact the lives of so many people, your spirit endures. I, I was blown away in 2018, seeing Rocky recognized at the Pacific Design Center in front of so many people who were there for no other reason than to shower Rocky with, with love and recognition that he so well deserved. A Lifetime Achievement Award was given to him by the ASID, the first of its kind. Rocky has been a fixture in the Pacific Design Center at Needler Fauché. Rocky's personality needed a home like the PDC to house that 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 laugh, that smile, that big personality. Quote, Rocky joined Nieder Fauchet almost 16 years ago, and I joined one year later. Believe it or not, I sat in front of his desk, and every morning when I arrived, he serenaded me with show tunes. That pretty much told me everything I needed to know about Rocky. He's been one of my closest and most meaningful confidants ever since, said Gina DeWitt, president of Nieder Fauchet, after the gala event. I sat down with Rocky in 2019. And he told me his story, how he, quote, found his people. I could continue to gush on about how wonderful this man was, but instead, I'd like him to pay the respect in the best way I know how. I'd like to replay my conversation with Rocky, recorded in 2019 from Needler Fauchet, the showroom in the Pacific Design Center. I want to thank Walker Zanger, presenting partner of Convo by Design, for your partnership. The work that that they do and their support of this show makes it possible for me to do this. This podcast has kept me connected to the industry, to you, 
for the past eight years. And the last year has definitely been the most challenging. But because of, of them, I'm able to do this. And as we start moving back to events, showcases, design houses, CEUs, and trade shows, we will have the chance to reconnect, get together, and I am so appreciative to Walker Zanger for their support of Convo by Design, which again makes makes this possible. And um, and I look forward to seeing you all again very, very soon. My hope here is that you can take some time to sit back, turn off the phone for a few minutes, and, and let Rocky make you feel good again. I challenge you to hear that laugh and not laugh with him. It's impossible. I hope hearing his voice, that laugh, those stories, takes away your pain for a moment. This is Rocky LaFleur. I did MC a big banquet uh, at the California Club about a month ago. For did you? 275 people and master of ceremonies and uh, for a lifetime for a legacy award for Timothy Corrigan. And I was really surprised. And in fact, I just got a letter from the office manager. She said, you would just set the whole tone for it. You just made it a fun, joyous event and that sort of stuff. And I said, well, I guess I'm discovering I have skills that I didn't really know I had. Isn't that great? Yeah, it truly is. Don't it you love is. that? I do. Well, I think that's part of life that's enjoyable when you can keep discovering and you keep going out and you keep venturing and keep exploring. And I'm curious. I'm just curious. And I just keep growing into more and more opportunities. I, I know I'm going to be the guy that when I'm on my deathbed at Cedar sinai I'm going to be begging for 15 more minutes. You know, because I just have a little bit more I want to see, a little bit more I want to do. And... Uh, yeah, so that's great. So wait a minute, let's back up. Yeah. At Cedars, you've already planned this out? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's in my neighborhood, you know. <laughs> I've got my plot. No, it's just, yeah. You know, it, I, I love talking to you. And I get, every time we leave, I leave with these these nuggets, these gems. Oh, thank you. Um, you're not a native Angelino. No, I was born and raised in a small town in South Dakota. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, tell me about getting here. Tell me about the journey here. Well, it was interesting because uh, my family traveled. I was the oldest of nine children, but my mother and father were, I guess that's where I get my, they were curious. They liked to travel, and we had a lot of relatives that lived out here in Southern California. They made the migration after World War II, you know, from Nebraska and Iowa and that sort of thing. So we would come out in the summer and visit, and we'd take the train. <laughs> the Union Pacific across Nebraska and, you know, that, and we'd end up in... Um, California, so we'd see, you talk about seeing California when it was much different, you know, there were orchards everywhere and farms and all that kind of jazz, it was very simple, that would be in the, probably the, you know, the 50s, the late 50s, so it was very different, Disneyland just opened, so we were all really excited, and then I went to school at University of South Dakota, and I ended up in Denver, Colorado, in the department store business, and that worked for five or six years, and then I thought, you know, I, I didn't like it, so I left, and a headhunter found me. And so they asked me to put in a to-the-trade wall-covering showroom in Cherry Creek in Denver. And so that's when I discovered the design world. I remember calling my mother and said, my mother, <laughs> I found my people. <laughs> I found my people. I said, so this is what I've been waiting for all my life. So that was my introduction into the interior design world and the people of it. And so then I worked there for a number of years and then moved out here in actually it's exactly 40 years october 1978 i moved here to los angeles to work in a little wall covering studio on robertson boulevard 
And so that's how I, I, I came here. But I knew Los Angeles a little bit. I must say I didn't like it originally. I thought it was too, too crazy. And I remember when I was in Denver, I had a poster in my bedroom that said, don't Californicate Colorado. You know? <laughs> but I thought everybody was narcissistic and all that. But then I got here. And I found my people again, and I said again to my mother, I found my, they'll have me, so I'm going to have, I'll accept them. So that's how I became a community. But what I really did is took my small town ethos community here, and it's been my, my craft for 40 years of just building community, making, making friends, making connections, and giving, giving back, giving people. It's a seamless way of living. It's been a, a, great, a great ride of discovery, and I've got miles to go before I sleep. It's interesting too because you were you've been recently celebrated on more than one occasion. Most you know recently right. here at, here at the Pacific Design Center with uh, 750 of your of your closest friends. <laughs> it was astonishing. It was a it was a tribal gathering of that that has never been done before in the PDC. So it was. Very uh-huh. It was. Yeah. It's interesting that you use the words tribal gathering because as tribal as we we have become recently and hearing you talk about finding your people mm-hmm. i get it uh-huh. i get it i like those metaphors yeah they mean something to me i think it gives it a texture and a quality that's that's understandable and i, I love the narratives i love storytelling and i think that's that's a part of it it's fun too because isn't that really what design is yes Yes, it really is. That's why I love guest lecturing at UCLA Extension every quarter to the beginning students that want me to come and talk to them, not about design. I mean, I talk about design, but I said, I'm not a designer. I've never studied design, but I know about design because I've been in it for over 40 years. So I have a sense of what really, what is the spiritual context of what is design? It's about people, it's about objects, it's about things, it's about feeling, it's about things that don't exist, it's, it's about vibrational things, it's about a sense of relationships and, 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 and excitement. It's just, I said, we really can't define it. I said, why do the young students, I say, why are you here? What draws you to this? Why do you think, what is design to you? And I'll go around the class and ask them, and each one has a little bit of, a little different idea about what it is that they're getting, but it's all interconnected. But sometimes it's more eclectic than it's one. So, you know, God didn't come out of the sky and say that you're going to be a designer you know, or this is going to be the design center. It kind of has a life of its own kind of a natural evolution and flow. That's also what's exciting about it as well, I think, because it's constantly changing. It's constantly changing. Well, it, it is. And it's it's fun for me because that's why I started Convo by Design because I enjoy telling the stories of the storytellers. <laughs> and uh-huh. designers are storytellers, showroom managers, manufacturers, mm-hmm. fabricators. Um, it's just, it's, it's interesting to see people take an idea of a person and say, this might look good around you. This might be a good frame mm-hmm. for your life. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's really what design is. Mm-hmm. And in listening to you, that's kind of how you've approached the business. Mm-hmm. It's kind of your philosophy, it mm-hmm. feels like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What did you gain from coming from a small town into LA and I'm, I'm trying to imagine what you saw when you got to LA in 78 
because L.A. was a vastly different place at the time. Yes, I talked to the students about that as well, because I tried to give them the narrative of where design came from in California, from San Francisco down here and after World War II and how it all evolved, and what makes Los Angeles different than any other city in the world, and why they're here, and how they, how they can work it by understanding that it isn't New York, Paris, or London, or any other city, so it has a different, different sense of itself and a different, different trajectory. But when I first came here, I was just overwhelmed with what I saw. I was curious. There weren't enough hours in the day for me to go everywhere I wanted to go, to see everything I wanted to see, to be in everything I wanted to be in, and go to the mountains, go to the desert, go to the shore, uh, be in the museums, the galleries. Always, I've always been on the streets. I've always been a part of it. You know, I tell people, get here. I don't know if you read the article in, in, in the PDC newsletter. I said, you know, about the story of my life, and I said, if you don't show up, I guarantee you ain't nothing going to happen. If you show up, something good might happen. And I said that's a bit of a part of my philosophy. But uh, I found it. I found also that in Los Angeles, I could be a part of the community. I got very engaged with West Hollywood. I was a part of the cityhood. When the AIDS crisis came in, I got involved with APLA and all of that. When they, we built the library here in West Hollywood, I got involved with that, and I raised funds for it. And now I'm on the board of the library of West Hollywood. I'm on the board of ICAA. So I, 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 I get engaged. I, everything, I, you know, I read an article one time in the old W magazine years ago. I remember when I was a kid. I was fascinated by rich people and beautiful things. And there was an article in there about Jack Leonard Larson. And I'd never met Jack Larson, never really heard of him. But he said, when I leave the office at night, I don't go into a different world. I'm in the same world. And I said, oh my God, that's what I want. I want to do that. I want my life to be integrated so that everything I do becomes a part of it and becomes seamless. And then, fast forward, I met Jack Larson. We become very good friends, and I go out and spend weekends with him in the summer at the uh, Longhouse Reserve in East Hampton. So it's, uh, you know, it's, 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 being self-actualized, just doing, showing up, and being curious, and being a good person. You know, I say, a lot of times in a meeting, can't we all be nice? <laughs> you know, why? That's where you get somewhere. You, you, but, you know, it's been a, a great ride, and it continues today. You know, I'm constantly going two or three things in a night. And you've also, you've also found your way into, uh, I want to call it a business. It's more than a business. It's a passion. It's a mm-hmm. lifestyle. It's a way mm-hmm. of living. Into, a, in, but it, it is a business ultimately. That's correct. Where. This business makes people happy. One hopes. <laughs> right? Or you get, get hot or get out. <laughs> it's, it's simple, but it's not easy. Correct. I, I've, always found, yeah. I've, I've always found, and I'm curious your take on this, I've always found that good design, like good architecture, like everything, is in and of itself very simple, but it's not easy. No. You have to have a passion for it. You have to really want to do it. And I talked to the students at UCLA Extension about that. I said, it, it's, your highs will be high, but your lows will be low. It's, it, it's an arc of many things. And it is difficult. Um, but if it's, if it's your calling, there isn't anything else you can do. Okay? And when you realize that, I always tell the students there are three things in life. Number one, figure out who you are. Number two, what you're supposed to do. And number three, do it. It sounds simple again, but when you really, I say, go to a park. I said, what, are you, what, what, what do you like to do? What really turns you on? And what's really fun at UCLA Extension is I see students that are working already. We gave a lecture 
on Saturday at Modernica Furniture on Beverly, talked to us, showed them how furniture is made. And, and then, you know, all the furniture at Beverly uh, uh, Modernica is made here in LA. And I said to them, there really is no chair. <laughs> it's just a chair is a feeling, it's a function. Uh, it's, it's so exciting. I love, 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 love that you brought up Modernica ah. and that you brought up Made Here in LA. So it's really interesting. A um, couple years ago, I had a chance to go out to the Modernica factory. Oh, wow. And watch, watch them. And I, I, I got to record everything and see how they, just putting together a shell chair. You yes, look, yes you, exactly. You look at it. It's like, wow, this is just, again, it's so simple. But it's not easy. No. And the amount, the equipment required to do that particular product it's this massive press and just watching the guys put it together and sandwich the materials together and then press it and to see something made in front of your eyes in real time mm -hmm. and, and knowing that that is something that is the quintessential California. Mm -hmm. Could it be done any elsewhere? Sure, it could, but it's not. It's done here. L.A., kind of like what you were talking about mm -hmm. and when you got here in the late 70s, L.A. is that land of reinvention. L.A. is, the, is this accepting place where we can come and be ourselves and if we decide that being that version of ourselves doesn't really work then we can go ahead and try another one on absolutely i learned that from jerry cavanaugh who's an old doyen of design she's in her 80s and she uh we kind of headed up an exhibition at the autry museum a number of years ago california women in design and these women came from all over all over the world actually and jerry says you can do anything you want as long as you take ownership of it. And this is the freedom that I think is a part of what is LA today. It's a hotbed of creativity, of entrepreneurship. Everything is possible, there's few barriers. People are pouring in from all over the world to be a part of this mass experience. And it's, it's, it's collegial, it's connecting. And what I really like is the young people that are pouring in don't have any structure like we did. They, they see the world as much more open and it's going to be a very exciting. I always tell them, I wish I could live another 50 years to see where this is all going to take us because I think it's going to be someplace where people are going to feel good, they're going to be safe, they're going to be satisfied, uh, they're going to be fulfilled. I think there's going to be a lot of social uh, uh, applications that are going to be w wonderful in, 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 in this city and in this world. And part of it is because we, we just mix. We mix. We're the, we're, the, we're the biggest mixture of people and ideas that I think ever has existed. So it, it's a great experiment. And you can be a part of it. Show up. Show up. That's what you do. It, it's very democratic if you think about it. It is. It really is. And it's interesting, too, because I think that many people, backing up a second, I'm a native Angelino. Um, I am staunchly, staunchly defensive of L.A. Uh, mm -hmm. I grew up here. I, and being, being, I'm not a designer either. I'm not a designer nor, nor an architect. I like telling the stories of the storytellers and right. and hearing those stories and and getting to know the storytellers and getting to know the people who are who are making this impact on the way that we live. It's just remarkable to me because it's 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 transformative, mm -hmm. and I will I see people come in and I'm writing a piece right now on LA architecture. Oh really? And huh. and uh, the Broad, the Broad when it first came out was was described by one architectural reviewer who shall remain nameless as a, a supersized cheese grater. 
<laughs> too sort of diminutive, yeah. Too easy. Yeah. yeah too easy. Yeah. At the same time, look at where it is. Look at what it is. Look at what surrounds it. Mm-hmm. And, and look at, you've got the Walt Disney Music Center on one side. You've got Angel's Flight down the street. You've got old Pueblos mm-hmm. that are still there down the street. I mean, so much of Los Angeles has, has, been, has been built on, on virgin soil on virgin mm-hmm. lots mm-hmm. and and to change the things that we've ch- okay the brown derby isn't here anymore uh, all right Boo-hoo. whatever <laughs> you know uh, the ambassador hotel uh-huh. isn't here anymore okay the facade is there i well sort of <laughs> but it, it, the point is is that la is not afraid to right. re to reinvent itself. itself constantly yeah it's very exciting very fresh yeah and i wanted to ask so people come here and i, re- I remember as i was growing up people you know la flaky and temporary very ephemeral you know nothing's mm-hmm. gonna last it's everything changes it's very aloof is that bad i don't know well, i don't know either so but huh. I, I do know where we are now um the southland southern california la in particular has a level of respect globally that i don't believe we've ever had before and I think my theory on this is that it, it is in large part to people like you. Um, I want to talk about the international experience <laughs> okay. that you have. All right. And you're out there at Maison. Yes. You're out there at Salone. I am. You're hearing the stories. You're telling the stories. You're spreading the, the gospel. Right. You're spreading the message of your tribe to other tribes. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. What's the reception like? What is the reception like now and the conversation? What's the narrative now mm-hmm. in comparison to what it was 10 or even 20 yeah. years ago? Well, you see, 25 years ago, I was the vice president of real estate at the Pacific Design Center. So I traveled the world and New York and High Point and all the market centers in America selling L.A. to creative people suppliers, merchants, anybody in the publishing business, trying to tell the L.A. story to those people. That was 25 years ago, and it was still fairly young, but it's much more evolved now. And I think the fact that we've gone on in terms of years, we're further away so we can look back now. This is what I'm telling people. It has a history now. See, when it was too young, there was no history, so you're kind of in the middle of it. But now that we're kind of going up the curve, looking back down the valley, we can see some of the things that we've done here, the case study houses, uh, you know, the, all, all, all these sorts of things, this mixture of things, or even like Frank Gehry, they just got it funded today, I don't know if you heard that, for the billion dollar project across the street from the music center, which is going to allow Frank Gehry's dream of what he wanted for the music center to come for fulfillment, because he, he created the Disney Center to have a lot of pedestrian traffic, which it doesn't have now, but in another few years it will, and it'll become fulfilled. But these are risk takers, and the cathedral, you know, Cardinal Mahoney took a Spanish architect, uh, Marneo, to come in and do something very abstract, you know, and, and a community of religious people that are very conservative, ethnicity, Hispanics, you know, largely Hispanic, and, and the people in Pasadena, San Marino, they went nuts. Well, it, it's the people that take a risk. It's about taking risks, about seeing the future. It's like what uh, Ernest Fleischman did, who brought in Esapekka Solonen these many years ago. He doesn't going to give us all these old farts anymore. He wanted to stir it up, mix it. They see the, the visionaries like Eli Broad, Ernest Fleischman, Michael Govan, my heroes, press that out. We have, a, we have a cadre of leaders now. There would be no music center without Eli Broad because I was having a conversation with an architect last week, and I said, the plan sat for 10 years. 
Number one, it was expensive, hard to do, with no funding, and Eli Broad said, enough. So he was like Dorothy Chandler. He went back and got a hold of everybody and said, hey, listen, dumb, Let, let's raise the money, let's stand up and be tall. So I think in that period, we began to stand taller in terms of civic pride, and that's when downtown started to grow. And then the people came in and it created a whole new evolution into the growth that continues today in downtown Los Angeles. But what is it? It's like pioneer, it's, 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 it's optimism. You know, you didn't get anywhere from, pessimists don't take us anyplace, you know. Uh, people, people that are optimists take us. That's why I love developers. They make the future happen. They put a stake in the ground. They go forth, like the people who built this damn blue building in the middle of a bunch of bungalows in West Hollywood. What the hell was that about? Well, look what's happened. We've become the creative city. And now people are even talking about doing an international design fair in Los Angeles. When, when people saw Cesar Pelli's first sketch right. of this, what do you think the thought was? Well, I wasn't here, but I came in shortly afterwards. And I think what it is, is I think it was such an aggressive time in architecture, the 70s. LA was, was so, so uh, on fire. And people were just throwing things. They did the Beverly Center, they did this, they did this, they did that. So in that context, it seemed to make a little bit of sense, although they called it the blue whale because it was like a big beach whale in the middle of a residential area. But yet, the futurists knew it was gonna be something they could make it happen. But at the time, uh, the locals, in terms of the decorators, and the people on Robertson Boulevard hated it because they were losing their bucolic way of having their little shops on Robertson Boulevard and parking in the back, going out front, having lunch and this. But LA it was not gonna be that town forever. You know, West Hollywood, I'm very engaged in West Hollywood and the development and growth of it. You know, it keeps growing, it's going vertical now. People wanna be here, people are attracted. That's how cities, you read ancient history and it happens, it just happens. When people come together, they see opportunities, they get involved in the dream and they become a part of it. So this is really, I mean, California has always been about dreamers. From the gold rush, you know, on and on and on. And then Hollywood, look what Hollywood is at. Movie stars. I mean, what, what effect has movie stars in the movie business had on interior design? It's all in the same. That's where a lot of this furniture came from, where the original set designers in LA that crafted the furniture for the sets. And then they started doing interiors for the moguls. Next thing you know, they were making furniture for designers in the big homes. And it's, it's all, you can't plan it. You can't program it. You just set it in motion and go along for the ride. You ask about cities around the world, they look at us with envy. They really do. Uh, people are pouring in here from Paris. Young people are pouring in like there's an exodus in Paris. It's really downtown LA is like a suburb of Paris right now. It's just astonishing. Uh, they're envious of our lifestyle. They're envious of how we live our approach to life. Um, and I think there's more and more good design coming out of LA right now in architecture as well. So I, I think it's gonna be a, a great era. What are your favorite? You, you talk about an international design mm -hmm. event here in Los Angeles, which I think would be remarkable. Wouldn't it be fun? Yeah, yeah, it would. What are your favorite events from around the world? Well, I don't, I'm not experienced with a whole lot of them, really. But my, my favorite that I go to, this will be the 10th year this January, is Paris. And Paris is uh, Deco Off and Maison Eugé. And what happens is Paris has historically been 
a trade show in January for, for generations that when that's when the people in Europe come together and have their trade shows. And so it's, it's a great blend of people from all over the world coming into Paris. Paris is a great, uh, a great set in which to play. And what I like about the Parisian sense of design is that they respect the past, but they embrace the avant-garde. Okay? So there you have a city of Paris that remains largely untouched, but yet they have the pyramid in the middle of the Louvre, you know, the Eiffel Tower. So it's, it's, it's a blend of this and that. And then you go to see the interiors. Even they just opened up Corbusier's personal apartment in Paris, and I think we may take a tour of it this January. Really? Yeah, yeah it should be really, really interesting that there he created this apartment that was just so, so linear, you know, but yet classically inspired because he knew the classics. But I, I, I think this is what makes Paris, but what really I like about Paris is I like the concept of market. I like people coming together. I like the stories. Again, when we take over, when the mayor of Paris gives us the city hall, 16th century building, Hotel de Ville, and we have 700 Americans in Paris on the Seine on a Friday night celebrating, the Parisians take a look and say, how the hell did you do this? You know, what, what's up with you guys? Well, we didn't see any barriers and we wanted to do it. And I wanted to party. I wanted to celebrate who we are as creative souls in, I think, one of the bastions of creativity and style and, and do it in Paris. Because you know what? We can. And now we've changed. We've, we've, we've brought change to bear on part of the design culture of America because the world is flat today. It is. Yeah, it really is. And so we need to act that way. When we started this 10 years ago, I said, I don't want our suppliers in Paris, Nobles, Pierre Frey, Daydar, Hermes, to be foreigners. I want them to be friends. Yeah. And so that's what's happened. We've been able to do that now. So that, and that, that movement really enhances design. They understand us better. We understand them better. You get closer to the creative wheels, if you will, the creative juices. And you know, we, we did that. We made that happen. See, nobody, we, we just, we're like, the, we're like the pioneers. We just go out and just do it. Just do it. And my, my grandma told me long ago, on the old porch swing in, in South Dakota, in Jefferson, South Dakota, she says, Rocky, if it works, do it again. If it doesn't work, don't do it anymore. <laughs> and so, that is you know, such great advice. Well, it's just, life, you know, what, it's what they say, everything I learned, I learned in, in kindergarten or in the sandbox, I think if you distill things to a simplicity, and I think design is a part of that. It really is quite simple. I think that's what you were alluding to earlier, that I think we're best when we're simplest. Then you get deep. But I think if, if, if the core is correct, if the core is right, if the core is spiritually balanced and everything is good about it, then it will be good. But it's, it's that. That's why it's important to nurture the young people, nurture each other, create a community, give to each other, celebrate. That's where the power comes in. That's where every city, every dynamic has always been about that. Every creative engines have always done that. And we're doing that now in LA. I, I want your take too on another concept and that is, it, it, I, I wanna talk to you about failure. I think that what you're talking about, when I hear you talking about mm -hmm. it, I feel like we've become at times so afraid of failure <laughs> we rarely we rarely we learn anything from our wins mm -hmm. but you learn a great deal mm -hmm. from a failure and probably even uh -huh. more from a catastrophic failure sure sure and yeah. in, and in yeah. de in design 
and architecture, I feel like a, a lot a lot of what's happening now has become has become very very safe. It's mm-hmm. it's very safe to mm-hmm. to do it one way and and not risk mm-hmm. failure. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious if you're if you're starting to see that shift in design in architecture in the young people that you're speaking to are they are they more apt to take risks? Yes, they are. And in fact, I just had a conversation with the head of the design department at UCLA Extension at lunch last week, and he was talking about the same thing that architecture is shifting. It's becoming more personal, it's becoming more spiritual. It's not spiritual is my word, I use that word, but it's about feelings, it's emotions, it's, 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 it's run its course in its um, didactic sort of uh, routine things. Of not, so it wants, to, it wants to be a blend now of, of more texture, whatever that means. So, so there are changes afoot, yes, and I think, I think it is, it has, did it fail? I don't think this is satisfying as it once was. You know, everything runs its course. That's what design is about, for God's sakes. If people didn't want new things, same thing with fashion, if they didn't want new things, we'd all be cooked. We wouldn't be sitting here, you know, <laughs> pretending like we know what we're talking about. You know, it's, it's, it's that, that way. Things constantly change, but, 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 but pain, art does not come from happiness. Art comes from pain, okay? And I've learned that a long time ago, and I see it in my life, and it's because pain, depression. I just was part of a lecture at a new group of women at work. And Jenna Christensen, who heads that up and started it, asked me to come and she wanted to interview me, one of the first things. And she talked about getting stuck. She talked about pain. And I said, to recognize pain and, and, and pain and discomfort, depression in this business, when you get stuck, is important to know. And then you'll be aware of it and you go because that's a part of it. It's not just all happiness all the time. You know, it's, it's uh, when you're this touched, when you're in this much connection to what it is that you're doing, you're going to feel everything. Yes, but at the same time, the business is all about smiles and happy faces. You know, it reminds me of Fantasy Island with, with <laughs> Mr. Ray. <laughs> yeah. Smiles, yeah. smiles, yeah. everyone. Yes, exactly. You know, it's all about uh-huh. it's all about smiles and hiding mm-hmm. the pain and hiding the. Uh-huh. I learned something. Uh-huh. I learned very early on in doing this this podcast in talking to set decorators. You know, who, uh, like you were saying, you know, set decorators are basically telling a story mm-hmm. in design. And I think that that's kind of like, it, it's what our lives are supposed to be. It, it, mm-hmm. w- making safe choices and just building boxes that are dwellings and putting, mm-hmm. you know, a table is something to hold a, a magazine or, mm-hmm. or, or a, co- a cup of coffee. That's not it. It's supposed to be about our lives and and be about who mm-hmm. we who we are and tell the stories mm-hmm. of our lives. Mm-hmm. Our lives are a set, and mm-hmm. the design is the is the dressing mm-hmm. of that set. Mm-hmm. It just it it feels like we're starting to get into like you were saying, where th- there are there are broader risks, more challenges, more changes, and people are seem to be more willing to embrace mm-hmm. the fact that life isn't perfect. The client has evolved. Is that what happened? Yeah, the client has become much more sophisticated. When part of my lecture at UCLA, I said, when I moved here 40 years ago and you were a wealthy person and you wanted a beautiful home, you hired a decorator and you did whatever the decorator said because you didn't travel. There was no design center. There was no internet. You didn't know where the workmen were. You didn't know where the the workrooms were to have upholstery done or draperies made, all of that. So the decorator did it. Fast forward 40 years, 
people are much more sophisticated. They know where things are. They know what they cost. They've traveled. They see. So they're more involved in the design process. And the younger people coming into it are even more so. They've been exposed to everything. And so what they're looking for is personal satisfaction. That's the key. The new group coming in, the millennials in this generation, see the discomfort of the previous generations that wanted to acquire and buy and spend for happiness. And it wasn't there. They're saying, we're not going to have that much. We're not going to have as much as that. But we're going to enjoy what we have more. And so they're shifting. So they're looking for more risks in design. The design is going to change. It's going to be more personal. Uh, who knows where it's going to be. But, but it is changing. And I think, I think the design is because the consumer has become a lot more sophisticated. There's a lot more options. They're engaged. They have more knowledge about what, what they like, what they've seen, that sort of thing. So, so the challenge is for the designer today to deal with that. Because the designer now had best be very practiced, be very studied, know the classics, know what they're doing, know the resources, know what to do. Because if a client is going to hire you for design services, it's not just that you can buy a sofa. It's why, what, how, to create a lifestyle that means something. Uh, uh, a, a home, a feeling, an experience. Uh, and I think this was a little bit what the, my architect friend was saying the other day at lunch. Things are shifting. Everybody's kind of, kind of changing that way. I just had lunch yesterday with the owner of uh, Marge Carson. You know, it's one of the oldest furniture companies in Southern California. And we were talking about that. He's about my age. You know, we've seen it all and how we're engaged in the new order of things. We're trying to figure it out. How to be relevant. People are still going to want to sit in chairs. But what chairs and whose chairs? How are we going to? I said, do the young kids know Marge Carson? He said, well, I don't think so. I said, well, how are we going to do that? I said, well, you know, you have to. You Needler. We did the same thing at Needler. We're 70 years old, and about a year ago, we changed our website. We got a website for God's sakes, and we changed our graphics so that we communicate to the audience we want to communicate with, because we believe we have things of great value here. But unless people come and desire it and want it, there's no deal. So we have to be engaged in making the deal. And that's a lot of what my work is doing now at Needler. I'm out looking at new groups, new designers, emerging professionals, education. How do we do this? How do we get them closer? And how do we engage them in the values of what we believe in, but the way that they're going to interpret in a contemporary world? How has that process been for you? Has it been, has it been easy? Has it been clunky? Has it been simple but difficult to employ? What do you, there's so many different ways that that can go. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and I think a misconception is, especially with individual designers, is they mm -hmm. feel like you know, that's not something that I can do because I don't have any Le Fouché budget or I don't have the legacy yeah. of 70 years. How, it's called aspiring, aspiration. Right. See, my job is to be the Stanley Marcus. Stanley Marcus was my mentor, in uh, my trainer in my department store days in Denver, Colorado years ago. And then I got to know him through Jack Larson a little bit, and I read his books, Quest for the Best in Minding the Store. But he was all about aspirational, that rich, wealth people, whatever, whatever means of income you have, you ought to enjoy what you can and make it good and make it satisfying. But what he really taught is, is how to enjoy the best the quest for the best. In fact, I was talking to Jack Larson about that in East Hampton this summer. I wanted him to tell me more about 
that and how because Jack kind of did the same thing. He created fabrics that no one had ever seen before after World War II, after RISD and all that sort of thing. And so what we try to do is show what we perceive to be very beautiful handcrafted things of great value and great spiritual content because people have made this by hand in Los Angeles, third and fourth generation people, and come take a look at it. We try to be very easy, open, and relaxed, and so we make it that. But this is why I get engaged with the students. We're constantly having Saturday events here. Bring them in, take a look. People cannot desire what they don't know exists. Okay. Even though they're on the internet, what they see is CB2, <laughs> you know, and they see, they see Pottery Barn, and they see Restoration Hardware, God bless them, you know, but uh, that's, that's one world. But I think that gets people interested in design or furnishings, but then we want them to be able to know what they can do aspirationally, and so we try to make it easy. I think of the old days here in the Design Center, people were very off-putting. You can't come in. You know, you're not good enough. It was all that, but that's certainly changed in the last 30 years. It really has. Um, this was great. <laughs> I'm enjoying it. I really enjoyed yeah. the time together. Yeah, and with your permission, I'd like to. I'd like to maybe check back every now and then. I'd love to. And yeah, 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 yeah. And, and follow up on some of the things we talked about here because I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I right, could come down and see you. Oh, that'd be great. Come down to the beach. Awesome. <laughs> that'd be great. That would be Life great. Life is good. It is. It is, isn't it? Life is good. Yeah. Life is good. Thanks, Rocky. My pleasure. Hope to see you again. Thank you, Rocky, for everything. And thank you for listening. Until next week, be well. And try to remember to take today first.